0: superb al podcast we're here today to talk about one half of the local seattle edm artist cartographer tony afflebeck our conversation today covers both the inner workings of the local edm scene in seattle as well as the failures and how they've made tony a better artist superb al is a weekly interview podcast seeking to bring to light the importance of failure and the road to success thank you for coming on this journey with me and i hope you enjoy it let's go ahead and get started We've known each other for about a year, and uh, I talked to you initially about this kind of concept for a podcast, and we... we uh, honestly, I think that you're the one who gave me the idea for the name. I'd always been mulling around the idea in my head of what it was. So I felt it only is uh, it's only fitting that you're kind of my first guest, and not kind of you are my first guest. <laughs> uh, so I want to say first of all, thank you for coming on, and then uh, kind of jump right into it. So you're part of a two piece set called Cartographer, right? Um, and then uh, why don't you give me a kind of a an overview kind of a uh, like uh inside the book cover synopsis of how you describe cartographer uh
1: yeah cartographer we <clears throat> we make kind of uh like progressive trance music um and that's generally like what we play when we perform live although we've kind of in the local music scene you Often tailor your sets to kind of the the venue and the artist that's playing as well. So, but uh, when we're really kind of working within our own element, it's a
0: it's kind of like a progressive trance sound. That's really cool. Um, I, I so what initially got you into you know doing trance, doing these live sets? Uh, what got you into it? How long have you been doing it? And what really made the step from. Cause my assumption would be that it was like kind of like a side passion, something you did and decide to take it to a point where you're like, I want to, I, I, I want to put myself out there and I want to, I want to perform this. I want to do something that is outside of my comfort zone.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I've been listening to, I listen to most kinds of music, honestly, but uh, I've been listening to kind of like classic trance music since, uh, since probably my teens as I was like 14 or 15 and, um, And so I've always been pretty close to that genre. Um, and then kind of the recent explosion of electronic music, um, bringing it to the forefront, uh, in terms of even making it into sort of like the pop music sound, uh, in the past, I would say like eight years or so kind of really helped with that. Um, while I was in college, that's kind of when we got our first major sort of, uh, dance music club, in seattle um so before that you know if you're what's the name of that
0: club sorry yeah
1: yeah yeah, it's foundation nightclub at least they were they were kind of like the the i would say like the focal point of that explosion of that scene um before that there were uh, still shows you know we still had artists coming through i saw tiesto and armin uh before that and you would see them you would see a lot of the kind of smaller artists at pretty small venues like Uh, the club like formerly known as last supper club which is now the box house down in pioneer square um, and some of the other nightclubs like venom that have really kind of vanished from the seattle scene but really foundation was in the right place at the right time when they opened to be sort of accessing that same type of music scene but right at the kind of pivot point or the tipping point where the that sound kind of really started to explode and so they kind of rapidly came to the forefront especially since they're backed by usc events um which is uh the major promoting company in seattle that throws all the massive parties as well
0: interesting Mm -hmm. okay so so you say you've been you'd say you've been doing this for maybe six years
1: yeah uh it's definitely been since college uh I would say six years, basically as the scene kind of started to really expand. um, I was, I was a person who attended a lot of concerts, shows. um, And uh, at the, in the early phases, there was really only kind of like one big spot to go to. Right. So this foundation was pretty much having everything that everybody wanted to see. Um, And it was, it was pretty common for me to go to shows 3-4 nights a week sometimes um at the same place. So everybody was kind of doing that and it's uh, pretty pretty easy to make friends really quickly because of that. You know, you're all into the same kind of thing. It's really easy for people to relate over music um and you're all in the same place, you know, at least once or twice a week if not more. Um, and so you really kind of build those relationships that you need the networking to kind of get into, um, being involved with the scene rather than just being a, you know, a bystander, somebody who's kind of consuming what's happening. And so, uh, through kind of building those relationships, um, just meeting cool people. I met Anthony. Uh, he also was in a class with me at university of Washington. We had a class together. Um, and, uh, we became friends and he was really kind of into the production side of electronic music. So he was getting his feet wet in terms of actually making music. um, He would reach out to me to get uh, opinions on songs. Right. So he would be like, Hey, I'm working on something. Tell me what you think about this. Um, And then that kind of, that kind of evolved into a more of a collaborative type of situation where it was like, we should, uh, you know, we should be working together on music. Um, and he still kind of has, you know, because he came into the scene with the, with the production aspect really on lockdown, that's really his, his side of the, I don't know what we call like side of the business. Right. Whereas, uh, I've always been, or I had always been a lot more involved in the night clubbing side. Um, and you really kind of need that level of involvement to be getting DJ gigs and stuff like that. So at the end when we were playing our first shows he actually was still living in spokane and so i played a lot of our first shows solo because i had the most experience djing so i was actually playing by myself as cartographer Um, and then eventually when he moved to seattle we kind of i really kind of helped him work on his uh, dj chops and we we were playing a lot more shows together after
0: that cool that's really that like that Seems like you know, quite an adventure getting to the point where, you know, you, you're, you know, something that you pretty intensely enjoy and you're now getting this chance to like stand up at, at the venue. I assume that you're talking about foundation when you're when you're performing initially, right?
1: Well, actually, that's a good point. Um, for most DJs, you don't really kind of break into DJing at that level of uh, venue and it's actually i think good <laughs> that 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 that's not right, the actual right. path um cuz it can go it a couple of reasons it can go to your head pretty quickly um and it can kind of let's say uh make you vulnerable to mistakes you know, you, you don't necessarily have the humility that you should have right off the bat which can get you
0: into trouble um I, I was more saying more saying foundation because you were uh, at least you insinuated that that seemed to be the only like major electronic um club at um, at the time mm-hmm. so obviously <laughs> I, I guess you're right there are probably smaller clubs you don't just go and play chop suey on the first mm-hmm. night right right yeah um, you'd go to like el corzone or something like that okay so that 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 was a that was a oops <laughs> on my part oh, no but yeah i can kind regardless. of uh, explain sort
1: of the trajectory we took in terms of like uh, performances and stuff and like how you end up at a club like Foundation or Q Night Club or any of the
0: like major venues we played the Tacoma Dome as well so yeah and I think that that kind of segues into like kind of the main purpose of this uh, conversation of this podcast is to like deter to discuss and you know and elaborate on how our failures have led to successes. Cause I can only assume that you didn't just like smoothly go through this thing. Like you were just like, you know, dancing through life. I, I, I would assume that there were a few stumbles, some falls, some some mistakes, some, some points where you, you literally walked off stage with your head hung down. And, oh my God, that sucked. That was awful. That was terrible. Mm. Am I going to be able to bounce back? So at least that's my assumption. I know from myself as an artist at at times, like even through, you know, doing presentations, I know even through school, walking out of a, out of a, uh, like a presentation going, well, that was awful. That was trash. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what I was saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I could tell you about a couple uh, instances, but uh, especially for DJing, I think it's funny because it sort of has this stigma uh, as like, it's like a DJ on stage isn't really doing anything. Um, and there is, I mean, there can be a lot of downtime depending how you're playing, right? It depends what you're playing and how many tracks and how quickly and so on. But, um, in terms of mistakes, it's actually kind of easy to make some, some pretty big mistakes, especially, uh, the equipment that you're playing on, uh, in most major nightclubs, uh, pretty much universally is pioneer CDJs. Um, and, and, uh, or yeah, the CDJ Nexus 2000s, um, and then the DJM 900 mixer, or if you're playing in the most modern clubs right now, there's a Nexus two, they, they have a new edition of all of those, but they're kind of pretty similar, but the, the technology is pretty impressive, right? So there's, there are so many controls on, on the The decks themselves and then on the mixer there's all sorts of switches and knobs and and to be perfectly honest mixing two songs together right just transitioning from one song to the other is not particularly difficult um when you're learning right you can kind of you can kind of get it you know that some of the harder things that are uh difficult to pick up are things like phrasing which is making sure that you pick um the start point for the next song that's coming in and uh, in a way that the, the stru- uh, structure of the song naturally blends to the song before and those are kind of the nuances that really take you to the next level but just transitioning from one track to the other is like not very difficult to do the the equipment has a lot of uh sort of like what's called like driver assists that can kind of help you out with that process beat matching that kind of stuff but um there are so many controls that you don't necessarily need to use to go back and forth between songs and they do a lot of kind of pretty major things um and and you can accidentally hit something and have no idea what happened right you something is happening strangely and you're not sure what's going on and you're looking at like a mixing board with probably you know 60 different knobs and switches on it and you know something's wrong and you don't know it's probably not one of the things you use 90% of the time so you're not really sure what's causing the issue right so even as somebody who began playing on cdjs literally never played on any other equipment it still is pretty easy to make uh, a mistake early on because of hitting a control that you don't know or something like that. It helps having a lot of experienced DJs that you can practice with who can kind of help you get a lot of those kinks out of the way early on. But ultimately when you first step on stage, you're going to make some pretty big mistakes. Um, you know, you can, uh, I think probably one of the, one of the biggest ones that happened to me on my first show was um I, uh, accidentally cut the volume on the track that was live. Right. So just so you kind of know, there's like, think of a world right where there's, you have two songs, right. You've got one that's playing, um, and then one that's, uh, that you're queuing up to play. Right. And essentially what the mixer allows you to do is, uh, you can control the volume of each track, um, and also filter like the highs, lows, and mids and so on. Um, individually and you can control totally what's coming out of the master from each of those two tracks and what's coming out of or what's playing in your headphones and that's kind of the biggest thing that a dj needs headphones for it's your private space where you can listen to the two songs together um, and match them up and kind of figure out phrasing and stuff it's it's a workspace that you can work in uh, from an audio perspective without playing any sound out of the master um, which would heard by the crowd
0: right so that seems incredibly dangerous just that's like working in a uh, that's like coding in a live environment yes. where you're where your changes are being like displayed to it, it would be like building cuz we're we're BI analysts so we like we build dashboards we we make we make data pretty right? right so that would be like us having to build a dashboard in a live setting in front of a client Yes. Without screwing up. Yes. Um, and is that a good analogy? Yeah,
1: it's actually kind of like doing all the QA and bug testing and stuff right in front of the client. So <laughs> so if you're debugging yeah. something and they're just watching you, that that's that's essentially what would be happening if you were playing both out of the master. So like for the general workflow, okay. right, what's happening is like there's a song that's on that's playing live out of the master. And then the other song is you, and you're also sending that master track that's currently playing to your headphones. So what's coming in your headphones and what's coming out of the master, same thing, right? Then you cue up another track on another one of the channels on the mixer and you don't put the master volume up. It's at zero, right? But you can hear it in your headphones because you send it to the headphones when you hit cue, um, the cue switch on, on that channel. And then you can... You can listen to different stuff on that player without anyone else hearing it so if i'm looking for a song that i think would fit well i can sit there and scroll through my library pick a track start playing pieces of it skip around listen to different sections decide whether or not i want to play it decide where i want to start it when i go to mix it in Um, and then once i have everything queued up i can then look over at the track that's still playing Right. And then pick the right spot to begin the new track and then start blending it in. Right. So so essentially you you hit play on the new track um, and again, no one can hear anything out of the master yet. But in your headphones, you can hear both and you start kind of blending smaller parts of the new song into the old one and removing pieces of the, the song that's currently playing as you replace them with the new song. Eventually uh, you switch the bass lines at the right time and you transition over to the next song so you're kind of like pulling you're mixing in like the highs mids and lows to kind of blend the two songs together uh, generally at least in my workflow the last thing that changes over is the kick drum between the two songs because that's probably it's you know it's, that's the beat that's the heart of the beat so it's the piece that like uh really represents the transition between one song and the other so once the kick switches over it's kind of like you're You're in this space where you're kind of like, okay, 90% main track, 10% new track as you're bringing in like hi-hats and stuff. And then you sort of blend to it till you're like 60-40. And then when you switch the the kick drums, you become like 40-60. And now you're in the new track and you have elements of the old track that you got to kind of blend out. So that's essentially mixing in a nutshell between two tracks. There are elements to mixing three or four tracks at a time, Um, but... You know, just the basic stuff that you got to learn two tracks. It's pretty easy to get confused when you're on stage and do something like I did on my first show, which uh, you're looking at a mixing board and you have four CDJs. So you have two on each side and to end up picking uh, a new track on the CDJ that's currently playing. Right. Because you're actually playing. Each one is a player. It's essentially a laptop. It's running software on it, right? But it's reading music off your USB drive. Um, and you pick a song off there and you play it. And then you got to go to the other one to pick the next song. And they can only play one at a time, each player. So <laughs> if, you, if you're if you scrolling through your library on, on a player and you kind of forget that that's the one that's actually playing on the master track right now and you select a song, it will interrupt what's playing and just queue up that new track you just selected. And so that's something that people do, kind of newer DJs do by accident. Um, Pioneer has designed their equipment in such a way where the ring that's on top, it's a jog wheel uh, that you use to adjust the s- uh, speed of the track and stuff, um, and kind of delay it to line them up perfectly. It has a ring around the top that is LED lit. If the, if the volume fader... On, on the mixer is above zero at all. That ring goes from white to red. So, <laughs> so you learn kind of like little things. You learn to use your equipment, um, and you get really crazy about like essentially what I would call like a pre-flight checklist. As you're starting to mix a song in, you learn like a routine that you go through every time to make sure that it doesn't happen. And it's because it's kind of traumatizing early on when you inevitably accidentally load a track on the live player. And you just the music just cuts immediately, right. So like that's one of the worst things that can happen right? You're in a dance you're in a dance club. Music has been playing continuously for three hours in this room where they're kind of building an environment like an energy from low to high, and you just cut all the sound in the venue by accident. And it's like, oh, you gotta recover from that and it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty emotionally jarring thing to do when you're on stage. You only do it once or twice. I mean, I actually I really once I would say before you really kind of it, it's traumatic enough that you never let it happen again.
0: <laughs> you get really careful about what you're doing. So how did you recover from this? Because you had it happen mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. you said, how did you recover? Like in, in the moment there, what did you do mentally to bring yourself back to, I would say, level? Because obviously mm-hmm. I would assume that there was a quick shot of adrenaline. And the oh shit button inside your head was just like blared. Yep. Or like the oh shit, shit siren was just like blaring loudly. Like mm-hmm. yeah batting down the hatches. We're like, we're going in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I just hit play, right? Because it's like you hit, you just queued up a new song on the live CDJ, right? So right. it when you load it, it loads paused at the very beginning of the song. So it loads paused and there's no sound. So I just hit play and just started the song from the beginning which is it's not good (laughs) it doesn't it does it's it's a complete reset of energy pretty much but fortunately as we were kind of getting at about 10 minutes ago and kind of launched into this uh my first gig was at contour nightclub which is still exists it's down uh in the pioneer square area kind of right next to the the Ferry walk-on it's a pretty small club they don't do really big uh, events there. And, uh, the show was put on by a really good friend of mine. So I'm not really being hired by, it's not a high pressure situation, right? He knows it's my first gig and he's just, you know, I, he's seen me practicing at his house and stuff. And he just set me up with the gig. And then the crowd was pretty much almost entirely close friends of mine. So not a lot of strangers. So it's just one of those things where it's like, you can just laugh it off. It's kind of a safe environment to, to be like, on stage playing for a crowd, you know, 40 people or so, but most of the people that you know are like all your friends and they're just going to laugh it off with you if you make a big mistake like that. Now, the flip side, I have seen it happen once I had got to a club like Foundation and was playing there regularly. I have seen newer DJs come in, um, especially maybe those who got experience playing on different equipment. That's probably the most the most dangerous situation you can be in right it's like you play on a tractor setup, or uh you're using serato and you have a laptop and you use a like a controller and this is a pretty common thing for to happen to djs because it's easier to it's an easier way to get into djing because the equipment costs a lot less so the systems that you're playing on at clubs all those cdjs and mixers each of those cdjs costs about two thousand dollars the mixer itself costs around two thousand dollars as well. So, full setup with all five of those is about ten grand. It costs about as much as a car. Um, if you've got two players and a mixer, that is probably around six grand, right? So it's still pretty hard. And and they keep their value really well. Buy them used, even if they're beat to shit, they don't really come down in price very much. Maybe four or five hundred dollars. So it's still like a four thousand ish dollar kind of entry point whereas if you have a laptop which most people do these days you could buy a tractor controller um, from native instruments for 300 dollars. Um, it's a usb device and you get the tractor software with it for free and now your entry into djing is you know probably three four hundred bucks right and you can play and actually professional djs like zed play on tractor still They use a bit more expensive Native Instruments controller. They use like a Tractor S8 or something, which probably costs about $1,000. But again, price comparison, big difference. Now, the issue comes, and this is, I know a couple of DJs personally, this has happened to, and I was at those shows. Um, They made the transition from using a laptop and a controller to sort of what we call like the big boy setup. And they, you know, we did a lot of work together. I kind of helped them learn the equipment and, but you can't teach someone everything. Right. And they make a mistake like the one I'm describing where you cut the music or you have some sort of like critical error with the settings on the mixer, but you're doing it at a much higher level club. It happens at foundation and you're in front of a crowd of 300 people and the people that are hiring you are paying you a hundred dollars an hour. And you know, they, they're, acquaintances you know they're professional people that you know they're probably not your best friends who and they're not going to cut you as much slack if you really screw up especially if it causes uh sort of like a negative impact on the crowd that's that's going to get you into trouble
0: yeah um i i can only imagine so you know moving on from from kind of that and like that that kind of situation where you you have a you're performing and you get that music cut, or you get something akin to that. You know, have you had other experiences where, and maybe it's a good point to like move towards the the kind of end, end all be all, but other situations where you've encountered some sort of, I, I wouldn't say maybe failure is the wrong way to, st- date it but some sort of um situation where it didn't go exactly as planned and then kind of lead into you know how do you feel like obviously i mean like the easy answer is of course these failures led to my inevitable success led to my confidence building Mm. etc etc but really how do you feel like that that success has not only permeated your artistic areas but you know other areas of your life as well yeah um there
1: have been basically what ends up happening as you make the mistakes as a performer is you learn how to, you learn how to deal with them in one of two ways. So the first way is to try to remember and try to get better at not letting it get in your head. Right. Because you still gotta, you still gotta play. If something goes wrong. You can't just give up and just walk off. Cause that's, that's like the ultimate failure. Right. So, You make a mistake, no problem. Just roll right past it. You know, you learn tricks to how to recover from mistakes and things like that, too. Um, You know, I've had people say, uh, some of my friends have said, like, and again, I'm not a DJ that uses the microphone a lot, but in a case where you accidentally cut the music, pick up the mic and just pretend like it was intentional. Like, pick up the mic. Hey, what's up, everyone? How's everyone doing? Right. And then, boom, start the next song. (laughs) It's like, it's just like you just play it off. Most people wouldn't even know, especially if they're. Not DJs themselves; they might not even know that you made a mistake. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is preparation, um, and I think this more so than anything is you learn how to prepare for a gig in such a way that you are countering most of the common things that can happen. So, a couple of examples um, is uh, I've had I've had this happen a lot where the the oh, let me back up so the, the equipment itself has ethernet ports on the back of it and they use those ports to communicate with each other. So they all are networked together. So you usually have like a switch and you have ethernet cables running from each of the link ports on the back of these to have them all in communication with each other. And that way you can use one single USB flash drive plugged into one of the USB ports on them and you can access the music from all of the players, right? Now, the link port is a common point of failure on these especially in a nightclub environment where they're getting plugged and unplugged all the time and it is not very uncommon let's say to walk into a new club environment and play on equipment where the link ports don't work so you can see how that would be a problem if you only show up with a single flash drive (laughs) because you can only load your music on one of the players so you wouldn't be able to play at all because the second player can't access any of the music so one of the things that you immediately learn to do is to have backup media right so um i walked into a gig where the link ports on the cdjs didn't work um and for whatever reason i so i didn't i had not put my newest music onto my backup flash drive. And I had about 30 minutes before the gig. So I borrowed someone's laptop and tried to transfer the new music across. But because of the file formats, I actually ended up corrupting my backup drive by accident. So now I really only had one. (laughs) And it was like, I literally can't play. Uh, And so I grabbed a friend of mine who was playing after me and I was like, dude, give me your flash drive. and he was like, OK, and he just handed me his music collection, which um, is a pretty big deal. I don't know, because especially for everyone in my friend group, from an ethics standpoint, we pay for all our music. So Flash Drive's got about two to three thousand dollars worth of music on it. Um, and it's all stuff that you've handpicked. So unless, you know, we probably have some crossover and stuff that we like, but most of what's on his Flash Drive, I've never heard before. So <laughs> so I played a gig. Uh with half of the music being songs I had never heard literally which is a tricky thing to do with a DJ because you are you're in a position where you need to phrase tracks together in a way that like you start one where it naturally transitions to the next one and you're kind of blending the parts together fortunately dance music has a pretty consistent structure and you know he had even if there were songs I didn't know he had artists on there that I was familiar with and things were organized in genres so I was able to kind of fudge my way through the set I was really really upset at the beginning of the set I was angry I was like this is gonna suck I I'm screwed but I really have to just play this by about 20 minutes into the set things were going great (laughs) I was playing music I'd never heard and just it was coming off great like all the transitions were awesome and uh really kind of it actually, in a sense, really just elevated my uh, excitement because I was like 20 minutes in. I was like, this is awesome. I'm killing it. I don't even know what's on this it's a flash drive, but I'm playing half music I've never heard, but it sounds amazing um, and kind of just came through it. So preparation uh, and then learning how to just really buckle down and get through the t- a tough spot, you know, <laughs> being able to kind of compartmentalize and be like, all right, that's broken. I just need to not think about that and get through this set.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that that's a uh, that's a really simple way of looking at it. I think that that's that's a really fascinating thing. Um, mm-hmm. The other aspect about, of uh,
1: oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Oh no, I was just gonna say I think it's a fascinating thing about like art and music is specifically that um, you're taught so much within there, there's there's immense structure within within music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? Everything has structure. That's the only way really music comes together, even within dance music. But I think the number one thing that any musician that I've talked to is that you got to learn to roll with it because that structure in a performance setting kind of flies right out the window, right? Yep. Yep. And I, I remember from, uh, oh God, it was back in high school. I think we were doing a, uh, a jazz concert and somehow there was a miscommunication between our section, and I play trombone, and the trumpets behind us, and we were we started to play completely different, separate pieces during a competition. Which, and usually with jazz, your conductor at the top is just merely giving you, like, kind of like, oh, this is a heavy swing, this is a light swing, okay, mm-hmm. this is kind of more of a samba, right? They give you this just kind of the feel, and then they step off to the side and just like hey, here's the jazz band. They're leading themselves. It's Jazz band was always like kind of the pinnacle when it came to uh, performance, at at least at my high school. And so, right, there was somehow we got on totally. And so someone, like we had to communicate while we were playing in the parts where, you know, one person at the very end of the trombone section, right? And it was like this incredibly structured thing was just, Luckily the crowd really didn't understand the judges sure as shit did. Um, <laughs> so like we didn't, gr- we didn't do really well, obviously, but it was, we, we, we kind of recorrected and, and got back on, on course. But I think it's, it's one of the fascinating things is that, you know, music is, is, it has taught me at least that, you know, understand the structure, but be ready to throw it out at a moment's notice. Yeah. And that I think also kind of talks to
1: the point of practice, right? Like, the more that you practice, uh, the more times you make a mistake or you make you, not even a specific make, mistake, but you make some kind of mistake and you learn how to kind of uh, just roll past it. Because especially in a, in a performance situation, you can't stop and like evaluate. You just got to keep going and then uh, correct as much as you can compartmentalize your emotions about it and just get through the set and then think about what happened after. And the more times that happens to you, the better you get at it. Um, the, the, the other piece I was going to say about preparation that I think also is huge for all the DJs that I know is what I was, what I was saying when I called it my pre-flight check. Um, I had, I had eventually had a couple of common mistakes that, that can happen with the settings on the equipment. Um, and, you know, I, it, they happened like once in front of a crowd and I corrected and then like that immediately went into like a list in my head of shit to double check every single time, every single time I go to do a transition. And so it's funny, like as as I am prepping a song, right, I'm like listening in my headphones, find the song I want to play next. I select it, pick this cue spot where I want to start it, and then I figure out where I'm going to start it in relation to the other track and once that's good to go, right, I'm essentially uh, ready to play the next song, right, and I'm just waiting for the song that's on to get to the point where I want to begin the new song, and then start blending them together, but before I do any of that, after I'm all set to go, I basically have, like, a, a, a pattern that I go around the entire piece, like, setting of equipment, and check each switch and knob, and make sure that it's in essentially, like, the null position, right, like, the the base condition that i expect it to be in right so like okay all of the volume knobs on this channel are in the center position all of the the filter on that channel is in the center position the you know the slide or the little switch that selects like a and b channel for the uh the crossfader is disabled you know i have like this whole system of checks that i go through before i start playing something because I've had it happen before where I go to mix a song in and something isn't right, right? You go like, you forget that you left a filter on after you blended out the previous track that was on that channel. And that, this is a really common one. This happens all the time to people. You leave that little filter knob turned on. So it's like a high pass filter. And then you go and you pick the next song that goes on that channel. You start it up. And the thing about the filter knob is that it does not affect the sound that's going to your headphones. It's a it's a, uh, a post processing effect. So what happens is <clears throat> the sound signal is split um, and the one signal goes to the master channel and the other signal is going to your headphones and certain effects are post effects, which happen on the master channel after the signal is sent. So you will not hear them in your headphones. So you have to check and make sure that they're not turned on because you'll go to put that song you'll you'll put that song in. It sounded fine in your headphones, and oh man, uh, you switched the bass lines and you left the high pass filter on, so there's no bass when you flip over and you're expecting this kick to drop in. It's like there's nothing there. You're like, oh, shit, flip the – and then you – basically what, what you end up doing to recover from that one is you wait a full phrase, so a full eight bars, and then you put the kick back in. You pretend it was intentional. But it really sounds like a mistake, and anyone who's a DJ would know that you, what you did. <laughs> but the crowd will usually kind of roll with it. They don't really know. But there's, a, there's an expectation in everyone's mind of a kick dropping in there, and you left the filter on. It doesn't happen. Um, and so you get in this process, this preparation mode where every time you do a transition, you run through all the normal mistakes, like check the filters and make sure the effects are off. And, uh, I've, I've had it happen where, uh, <laughs> we actually, oh man, we had a, we had a friend, uh, who, who really catastrophically failed at that, um, at foundation. So he was playing after me. I guess I would I don't know he's more of an acquaintance than a friend I should say we're kind of more like rivals um but uh my friend group and I were there at this show it was a pretty large crowd by the time I was playing the opening set so uh from when the doors opened to about an hour into the night and then he was picking up after me and I had at the end of my set I had left the the echo effect all the way maxed out and the filter maxed out because i was kind of fading out and he had an intro song that he wanted to play so like basically what happened is the end of my set i brought the energy down played this like half tempo song and at the end of it just kind of like filtered it up and did the echo and it just kind of like spiraled out and on the on and like echoed out to like silence and then he was going to start his set with an intro song right <clears throat> Not always uh, the the way that things happen. A lot of times DJs actually transition straight into each other's sets. But uh, he wanted to play this intro, so I kind of did this in this way. Well, I left those filter and the effect on when I walked off because I was like, boom. I didn't think about this. So I was just like, cool, set done. Have a good set. And he came from playing on a Newmark controller in Serato on a laptop. And this is a case where somebody was transitioning from home-bought you know, equipment that was a lot cheaper to just learning how to play in the club system. And I had helped him practice uh, a few times as well. But, you know, again, you can only teach some, so many small things in in a couple of practice sessions. Right. So he goes on stage, forgets that those are all set on starts playing his song. And it sounded like really weird. Like the filter was almost all the way up. And then there's like an echo, happening. And so the, uh, the sound sounds really weird. I'm standing down in the crowd with my friends and I had just gone straight to the bar to get a drink, come back and I'm standing there and I'm like, something is really wrong. Like it doesn't sound right. And I'm looking over and he's on stage just looking like he has no idea what the hell's going on. (laughs) He's looking at the mixer. Like it's a, I don't know, like a crazy Sudoku puzzle or something. So, so I run up on stage behind him and I'm like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. It doesn't sound right. And I'm like, uh okay uh, i looked down and uh the the filter is still on on the channel he's trying to play i was like oh like i put the headphones on and i listened and i was like that's not what's playing at all and i looked down and i was like ah shit put the filter back off and it's immediate like whoom the bass comes back in and then uh and this is like a full club system right uh but then it's going like like making this really strange sound and it was like uh, and I looked down at the effects panel, and the little, like, it has an on-off button that basically enables whatever effect is on, on the switch at the time, or it doesn't. And it blinks orange when it's on. I looked down, and that was blinking. I was like, oh, hit that, took the effect off, and immediately the song is playing correctly. I was just like, dude. And we started, we called it, um, <laughs> we called it booby-trapping the mixer after that, like, at that point, where you're basically, like if you wanted to be a dick right you could you could just fuck up all the settings on the mixer (laughs) before the next dj comes up and just like let them hang themselves essentially if they don't know what's going on and they don't have a good routine to make sure everything's cleaned up so we uh we actually made a joke about that but we didn't ever really intentionally do that to somebody it was just an accidental thing no no
0: most most definitely that doesn't seem like um you and if it is you boy have i been duped yeah nope. um (laughs) well i mean that's all that's i that's a lot of fascinating information and some some great lessons um and stories to be told and and heard and um i guess to really like start to like kind of close this down wind this down my my number one question to you is you know as you've done this as you've you know gained your failures and uh, and, and use those to build on your successes. Are there any parting words of wisdom that you would have for you know artists uh, or just people in general listening, um, hearing this, and you know things that you'd want to impart upon someone who's maybe younger who or who's moving into you know electronic music or just anything in general that they could take through their life to you know to it- help them through.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that uh, the personal relationships that you build um, matter as much as your skill, almost in all cases. Uh, sometimes more than. And I know I, I I can speak. I think probably for most artists, when I say that I, there will be people that you will see who are less skilled than you who go farther because of who they know, and it's gonna be frustrating, um, and it's something that you're gonna just learn to deal with, I think, uh, and and just be conscious of that. You need to be uh, very conscious of how you work on building your relationships, how you treat people, always having a good attitude, um, and and thinking about just being, being conscious of the fact that sometimes somebody is gonna get something that seems unfair to you, um, and really don't even pay attention to it. Just focus on what you're doing, right? Be the best that you can. Be really nice to everybody, be polite, uh, be reliable, show up on time, um, you know, be pay really good attention to make sure that you have really good etiquette within your scene. So anything, you know, there's all sorts of DJ etiquette things that you just really need to be conscious of. I'm sure that's the case in every art form. Um, and, uh, and then not be afraid to make mistakes kind of within the theme of what you were talking about as well as like be aware of the fact that you're probably going to screw up um, and try do your best to try to make an environment where it's okay and it's safe for you to, scro- to make a mistake early on so you can learn from it um, and grow from it before the stakes are higher um, and uh, and uh, not get bogged down in the failures because they're going to teach you to be better at what you're trying to do.
0: Well, that's that's some great wisdom. Um, well, Tony, thank you for joining me, um, taking time out of your day. Uh, and, yeah, this is, this is great. This has been really informative for me. Um, I hope it's informative for uh, the people that are listening. And, yeah, again, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you for tuning in this week. Superb Owl releases every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. All major podcasting networks, aside from Apple, still working on that one. Thanks for tuning in today and have a great week.